in five, four, three, two, one. Obi Trice, real name, no gimmicks. Who are you? He had a voice that could make a Wolverine purr. That's what I'm talking about, man. Wait a minute, I know you. Check out the name tag. You're in my world now, Grandma. I know that, dude. He's a modern-day Yoda. I'm your Huckleberry. Allow myself to introduce myself. Greetings and salutations. We came, we saw, we kicked it down. You're excited. Feel these nipples. That boy is good. Mm-hmm. Good and terrible. Well, I have a microphone, and you don't. So you will listen to every damn word I have to say! This is the Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X. Sportos, motorheads, geek bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. All right. All right. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Mike Rutherford Show, the first Mike Rutherford Show of 2023. I almost said 2003. 2023. It is January 3rd here on 1450 AM, 96.1 FM, streaming all over the land. It's the Big X, and we are coming to you, as always, from the University of Louisville College of Business Studios. Go to business.louisville.edu to find out what UofL College of Business can do for you. Mike Rutherford here, kicking off the new year. Trevor Kelsey not going to be here this week, as he mentioned at the very, very end of Friday show. we got intern Patrick in the house, so we're feeling good. Uh, plenty to get to until 6 o'clock. We want to hear from you between now and then. Text us on the Thornton's text line at 502-414-1450. And while you're at it, download that Refreshing Rewards app. They're still giving you the best deal going with the Refreshing Rewards app, which is if you download that bad boy, you don't even have to use it if you don't want to. I don't know why you wouldn't. But if you don't, you're still going to get a breakfast sandwich and a drink from any of the 65,212 area Thornton's locations for absolutely free. Download that today. All new Refreshing Rewards members getting that free drink and that free breakfast sandwich whenever they make that happen. Uh, Plenty to get to today. It feels strange to be doing a little bit of sports radio today given the gigantic story in the world of sports which dominated last night. And I won't talk at length about it because if you've been listening to any any sports media today, whether it's you know, reading stuff on Twitter, watching TV, listening to other radio shows. You've probably heard every DeMar Hamlin take possible, and I, I can't say anything that anybody else hasn't already said. So uh, clearly last night was a surreal experience to watch that and, and just uncharted waters for everybody and, like everyone else, certainly Hamlin and his family and everybody who is so distraught right now are in uh, my thoughts and prayers. We've got uh, um, actual sports things to get to today that are far, far less serious. We will do all that good stuff. But first, got to say hey to my guy, Patrick. Uh, happy New Year Hello. to you, buddy. How was the, How were the New Year's festivities? Uh, we were pretty good. Uh, we went down to Nashville. Nice. For the New Year. Uh, me, Trey, both took our girlfriends. My parents No big went. deal. Sick brag. My parents went. Uh, they went to the Widespread Panic concert. Love it. At Bridgestone Arena down there. We went to the free concerts and uh, watched the music note drop. So, rang in the new year an hour later than everybody, but it was good time. I, I'll be perfectly honest, this is just had to have been a blind spot for me. I didn't realize that Nashville did a music note drop. Oh, yeah. I had no idea that was a thing. It was a free concert. They, it was uh, Brooks and Dunn and then Zach Brown Band and then Kelsey Ballerini. And, uh, Not bad for a free concert. Yeah. Uh, but they like... It's a 
broadcasted on TV and there's other big country artists that are like playing in bars and stuff down there, but not for free. And then, uh, so there's clicking back and forth on this broadcast between shows and then the big free concert, they're not constantly playing. Like they're only playing whenever they're on TV and they'll sometimes do a song between breaks, but most of the time it's just like what they're playing on TV is what like they're playing there. So there's like a song and then a few minute break and then another song. Nice. We, um, I guess I probably should have started off with this. We are a little bit late to get on today. Once again, Trevor, classic Trevor style. He leaves for the week, and he, it was sab- Trevor's fault, he sabotages the whole thing. He makes sure that we don't, you know, we can't get on air smoothly. The same, I guess, issue that we had the last time he left was rearing its head again. But c- props to intern Patrick. He got us on safely. We're, we're here, just a few minutes late. No big like deal. Five. It's normal Trevor thing. So. It's classic normal Trevor Trevor minutes. So uh, we are on. We're good to go. Streaming should be fine. If it's not, let us know on the Thornton sex line, as many of you did when the show started. But we should be good to go. Um, had a good New Year. We enjoyed ourselves. We did it. It was nice to do, you know, with small children. Like, we've had a f- several years in a row where we don't really do anything. We've done, like, a, you know, sometimes you'll like get carry out dinner or something. But it's just, it, it's hard. So this year we did a nice dinner uh, with, with a couple of friends, which was awesome. Six o'clock dinner, because we're old at Valare. And then, it, best feeling in the world, Headed home at 9.30. And the the worst, I've had many, many, many you're washed, you're super old moments over the last few years since kids. And that's, I'm sure they're only going to keep piling up. But maybe at the top of the list was coming home from New Year's Eve dinner at 9.30 and then me driving our babysitter to her party afterwards which was very like the the dad driving the babysitter thing is already very weird like it's it's a very old person thing like you hear stories about it like you knew like my dad had to do it growing up when he when my parents would get home from from restaurants or, or wherever they'd been and having to talk to her about like yeah like when I was your age like Mary and I were dating and we had a new year's and she got sick to her stomach and it was t- like just telling her these stories as we're driving I'm like what am I doing this this is not how did I get to this point in life I'm very very happy to be old and married and have you know, two healthy wonderful kids but also like it's 9 30 i just want to go to bed and here i am like trying to like find conversations with my baby who I, I love, our babysitter's awesome she's great it's not she's not hard to talk to thank god but it was still just very like this is this is what old people do now this is where you are these are your holidays for now until eternity and it's okay it's gonna be fine um speaking of my wife i should say also happy birthday to her she, happy birthday happy birthday mary January 3rd, she calls it the worst birthday of all time. She's not wrong because this is like the – it's always been – it's so close to the holidays. It's so close to New Year's, but it's not actually on them, so it still gets sort of lost in the shuffle. And then her birthday – my birthday was always – it's late August. My birthday was always coming back to school after summer break, which sort of sucked. Hers was always coming back to school after winter break. So nobody really wants to do anything big until at least you get deep into college, which is yeah. nobody cares. My birthday's uh right at the end of school year. Uh, sometimes on Derby, May 5th. Well, it's still okay. Still celebratory time. It's on Oaks. My 18th birthday is on Oaks. That'll be fun. That'll be good. But Mary's birthday this year was like the, it's like the sum of all fears. Because yesterday is a holiday. Everybody's using it because it was somewhat warm outside to get Christmas stuff down, which is exactly what we did. Mary got the whole inside stuff knocked out. I took down all the stuff outside. It's very sad to see all the lights go. You you, you You have that thing where... You're not so much anymore because everybody has the fake trees. What, what, does the, do the Ryan family? Do we do, do a fake tree. You do a fake tree? We do a fake tree. Most Always people do have. these days. It used to be more people did real trees. My parents still do a real one. And you would drive to school. I remember driving to school 
on the first day back. And you, it was so depressing seeing like all the houses with their trees on the curb. And you saw some of that yesterday. A lot of people had taken down their trees and they just throw them out to the curb because the garbage was coming on Tuesday morning. But then like today you've got like Virginia went back to school and my mom had to go back to school and you know, work days were back to normal and it, it's her birthday. And it's just like, this is the day that everything just gets back going. Everything that you were happy to see, take a little pause, take a little reprieve. It gets back going, and I felt bad for her. But we're going to hopefully she'll have a, a good rest. JCPS doesn't of the day. go back till tomorrow. Well, I'm I'm sure that'll help her make her feel better about this. But it should for everybody else. It will. Uh, it's, it's it's it was a bad day. But happy birthday to Mary. She's the best. She could not be a better wife. She could not be a better person. I love her so much. She's awesome. This does. Speaking of, and we'll transition because we did not do a show yesterday. We, would we have done one if Louisville had beaten Kentucky? Yes. I, I would have come in here yes yesterday and been like, holidays be damned. We're talking about this game. That obviously didn't happen, and we'll start today's show by talking a little bit about what happened on Saturday. I know we have another game tonight to get to and some other topics as well, but we'll start with, and Brett Dawson, by the way, is coming on from the Courier-Journal at 4.30, if we can get the phones to work, to talk a little bit about Cardinal basketball. Saturday, the end of the year, just sort of a broad thing, because I was struck today taking my daughter back to school, getting back into a quote-unquote normal workflow, babysitter coming back over, Mary getting back into her work. So like, just everything starting over, and there's no big holidays coming up. There's no big breaks. There's nothing really to like just gigantic to look forward to. And it's that time of the year. These January and February are the longest months of the year. I know February is technically the shortest month of the year, but they, these are the ones that feel like they take the longest. The weather's terrible. Kids are back in school. Work is going strong. There's no big holidays outside of, I guess, Martin Luther King, which we don't get off. Some people get off, but in sports, you're working. This is the gauntlet. This is when you know, the days are still, it's still getting dark way too early, all that stuff. And here in Louisville and the surrounding areas, the way that we've always gotten through this has been college basketball. Like this is this is what you this is what makes the winter tolerable around here. You have the UK game, you have New Year's, you flip the calendar over, there's not a whole lot to look forward to in real life, but thank God we've got these Wednesdays, Tuesdays nights to come off home from work, come home from school, and watch the Cards do their thing against some high-quality conference competition, and then you get a weekend game, celebrate, get together with friends, watch the games, and this year, it's the first year where it's like, how the hell are we going to get through these these months? Because... Look, Louisville plays tonight. I got friends who didn't even know the game was happening. Louisville's playing Saturday. I've got friends that are making plans to hang out during the game. Like, it is going to be a different winter around here. And that really kind of just, it struck a chord with me today when I was like, man, getting back into the flow. This is, this sucks. Like, <laughs> like I, I miss the holidays already. And in every year past, I've been, you know, like, I've got college basketball. It's my favorite time of the year. It's my favorite sport. I love following it. The cards are almost always at least relevant nationally. And this is going to be a difficult few months for everybody to get through. And it was really driven home by what happened on Saturday. The game itself, I mean, there's not a whole lot, I think, to really be said. The cards come out, and it's like the sum of all of our worst fears take place for the first seven minutes. Louisville falls behind 18-4. to they're not defending. They look disoriented on offense. The effort level isn't there. You get Bill Raftery coming out and saying, point blank, I want to see more fight from Louisville. And I'm like, yeah, we, we've wanted to see. Louisville fans have been saying this for two months. We want to see more fight. It's kind of all we want to see. 
And then, uh, like, not trying to to put lipstick on a pig, the last, what, 30 minutes or so? Not bad. We've seen way, way worse. They, to their credit, battle back um, and, and get into a position where multiple times at the end of the first half and at the beginning of the second half, they get to within eight, and you can kind of feel the momentum shift. And then, as this team tends to do, they find a way to do the dumbest thing imaginable and ruin all that momentum. The big one, the one that has stuck out, and I know other people have talked about it already, is you get down by eight, you feel Rupp Arena, that nervous energy, you know, the the fire cow, people just hands on the keyboard, waiting to type out, waiting to fire up those phones. We've got the ball. The ref tells Brandon Huntley Hatfield, you can't run the baseline. And in, you know, a flashback that will give anybody who watched this team play in 2018 some PTSD, Dengadel style, he just he moves. He just walks the baseline, gets called for the, the violation, then he gets the ball back. We make a good stop, we can't get the defensive rebound. We make another good stop, we can't get the defensive rebound, we foul Oscar Shibway. We come down the other end, LL, uh, Hertzie Miller gets stripped because LL is, is out of the game for some reason. We come down the other end, they hit a couple of shots, boom, we're down by 14. And that was kind of the, the story. Every time we got close enough to make things semi-nerve-wracking for UK, we found a way to shoot ourselves in the foot. They didn't make the big play. It wasn't like the 2012 Final Four where I thought the worst thing that could have happened to us was we got all the way over the hump and we tied the game and then everybody kind of froze and UK made the big plays to seize control. They didn't make the big plays on Saturday. We, it was self-inflicted stuff, which has been a, a constant thing. At, at the end of the day, I don't know how Vegas does it. They hit the spread almost perfectly. We get a late meaningless bucket from Roosevelt Wheeler to lose by 23. The spread's 23 and a half or 22 and a half, depending on where you were betting. And we lost the way we were supposed to. It just, it kind of felt like we were never really in it after the opening few minutes when we just came out looking like zombies and letting Kentucky do whatever they wanted to. And it's just like, this team can play hard for stretches and they do things well in stretches I thought that there were some lineups that worked well, especially when we went smaller. Brent Huntley-Hatfield played well at the five. He had a couple of buckets down low on UK's interior defenders that he looked like an impressive big man. I thought that the lineup with Kamari Lands, Mike James, and LLs on the, all on the floor at the same time seemed to work pretty well and give Kentucky some problems. Um, I thought Ellis himself particularly played his ass off. That guy can play for me any day of the week. He's I, I know that... He gets a lot of criticism because he's the guy with the ball in his hands the most of the time. There's a reason why. You see what happens when he comes out of games. You you cannot bench him. He's the only guy who can handle the ball, and it's not his fault that he doesn't have a running mate. It's not his fault that there's not another capable guard on this roster or really another true guard on this roster who can play big-time minutes. He's he's out there on his own. He's doing everything he can. I thought he played exceptionally hard, and he was certainly not the problem on Saturday. But at the end of the day, it's a 23-point loss to Kentucky that didn't generate a whole lot of emotion from the fan base, from the team, to be quite frank. It was just an expected game. And that would be jarring in any year, but especially when Kentucky has been— Kentucky dropped out of the top 25. They beat us by 23, and they still fell out of the top 25 because they lost to Missouri earlier in the week and because they haven't been impressive at all, really, this season. And I know Kenny Payne after the game says they're still one of the best teams in the country. They don't look like it. And this is going to sound like a jilted rivalry guy. Kentucky didn't show me anything in that game that made me think anything more of them than I thought going into it. They looked like a 
relative to John Calipari's teams that he's had since he got there in 2009, average UK team. They did not look national title good. They didn't really do anything that, you know, I think would have been overly effective against a team with more of a pulse than Louisville. But against us, the worst Power 5 team in America, the worst Power 6 team in America, it was good enough for a blowout victory. And the fan base was just kind of like, yeah, it's been worse. It was kind of expected. Back-to-back covers. And, man, I don't know how we keep having this conversation for the next nine weeks because it's going to – we keep saying something's got to change. It's not changing. They're getting, I guess, slightly better. Covering in back-to-back games, which you've lost by combined 35 points to good, not great teams, is progress technically, but it's not enough that's going to have anybody, you know, throwing parades. I hate to say it is what it is, but at this point it kind of is what it is. And I, I don't like being the gloom and doom, down in the dumps, super negative, you're anti-KP, like all that stuff. I'm just talking, like, I don't know how else to talk about this. I can't tell you that it's great. I can't tell you that it's good. I can't tell you that it's going to get better. It's bad. It's it's really bad. It's never been this bad in any of our lifetimes. But how? there's no point in continuing to say it, I guess. Everybody who watches it knows exactly what's going on. But to lose to Kentucky by 23 and have it just feel like a whatever type deal is is mind-blowing and I'm in that category I went into Saturday not really having any of that nervous energy not having really having any of that nervous excitement that we all have had our entire lives leading into any UofL UK game it was an expected result and it didn't ruin my day like a normal loss to UK whether it's by two points or 100 points is going to do it was just like well that's who we are some UK fans were annoying me on like social media and sending me terrible things. That was that was like that was the extent of my anger about what happened on Saturday was the annoying UK fans just refusing to let me do anything on social media and not taking jokes well. Outside of that, outside of the actual game stuff, like yeah, we lost by 23. What did you expect? Even when we had the David Paget year, where you knew that Paget was up against it. In that game, you knew that UK had a decided advantage, even though they, that was not, didn't look like at that point in time, a great Kentucky team, and they beat you by 29. Like, that sucked. It was terrible. It was embarrassing. People were pissed off. We were furious. I don't get that sense of just anger, at least when it comes to this specific game, that I did for that game in 2017-18. And that's where we are right now. Apathy is not setting in, I think, to enough of a degree that it's resulting in a bulk of the fan base checking out. I think people are still tuned into what's happening for the most part, but it's setting into a point where you're numb to stuff like this. And that should never be the case. And I'm stating the obvious here, but we can't afford to do people are talking about, you've got to you know wait till year four for Kenny Payne to, to reap the true benefits of a rebuilding process. We, we cannot wait four years. He has to win at least 15 games next year. It's got to get significantly better next season. And the same people who are saying we got to wait four years now, I'm not saying to a T, to a man, they were the same ones who were saying we're going to get better right away. This is going to be a quick process. Because nobody, five months ago, nobody was saying it may take until 2026 to see significant progress. Everybody going into this year, 
when we had the conversation about expectations, legitimate expectations for Kenny Payne into the future, said we should be NCAA tournament good by year two. We should make the tournament. It's Louisville. There's no longer any NCAA stuff. Even if there were a, a few hindrances but from the NCAA stuff, we should be good enough to make the NCAA tournament, at least in his second season. A lot of people were saying we should make it in year one. I wasn't there. Trevor was saying he wanted us to be in the mix. I was like, I don't. I think you're kind of asking a little bit too much. But everybody was saying we should be NCAA tournament good by year two. And right now, there's no sign that we're going to be NCAA tournament good by year two. And we've got 17 ACC games left. At least one ACC tournament game left. And everybody knows how it's going to go. Like we, I, I still think we're going to win two or three. I'll say three. But a five-win season, my God. Nobody was saying that. Nobody was predicting that. And the more that these lopsided results pile up, the more that we just all become numb to it. And, it, and the people who are saying it's not just this year, they're right. Louisville is 5-27 and 27 over its last 32 games dating back to last year. Did you ever in your life think that we would be talking about going a full calendar year from one January to another January and only experiencing five wins from a UofL men's basketball program? Of course not. It's... Again, I don't know how we keep having this conversation. Are there signs? You know, we'll, we'll talk about the signs of improvement. We'll talk about what the team isn't isn't doing well on the floor. But at the end of the day, what we need are positive stories off the court. Mm-hmm. You've, got, I mean, whether it's recruiting in twenty twenty four, whether it's, I mean, you can't talk transfer portal now stuff now. But maybe there can be some murmurs that will, that this mid-major guard who's scoring 20 points a game is interested in Louisville next year if he does enter the portal. Like We need those stories to start piling up when the spring comes because right now there's not much that we've seen from a wins-loss stats standpoint that gives you a whole lot of hope moving forward. And we'll talk about you – know, Nolan Smith talked to the media yesterday and he said some things that, that drew raised some eyebrows once again, and, and we'll talk about that. But the thing – that the staff has to do. It's got four months now, the four months ahead going into this, this summer. I don't care if it is just winning three games. You've got to show some sign of improvement. You cannot go 0-20 in the ACC, which I think Ken Palm gives Louisville a 6% chance of doing. They've got the highest odds of any team in any power conference of going winless, higher than Georgetown, which is amazing because that's a complete disaster down there in D.C., You've got to show signs of improvement. You've got to be competitive in some games against teams that we feel like we would not have been competitive against if we played in November. And you've got to win at least a few games. Give us something. Show us some signs that the system can work, that these players understand it, that the players have not checked out, that you are enough of a, a leader who can relate and connect with players that they're not going to check out even in the harshest of conditions. Like that has to happen in the two months ahead. And then once the season ends, there's no way around it. You've got to kill it in the transfer portal. You have to completely, I don't want to say completely overhaul this roster. You can keep some guys around. But it needs to look incredibly different than it does right now. And that gives you hope. Do what Missouri did. Do what LSU did. Do what some of these other programs did that they're having success in this year. Overhaul the roster. Bring in new guys. And say, it's not me. Not our system. Not this coaching staff. It was the personnel that we had, and I'm going to show you next season. That at least gives you a shot, if you're a Louisville fan, of, of feeling like you've got some hope going into next year. Because right now, there's 
it's the same old story. It's the same thing that we've been saying on the radio for the last two months. There's nothing to cling on to. There's nothing to hold on to. There's nothing to point to and say, this is why I have hope moving forward. Um, let's take a break. When we come back, a couple more thoughts to get to from Saturday's game that will be hopefully more positive, more more things that I saw that I liked. Give a shout-out to a specific player who's not L. Ellis and then some things that I didn't like. And then we'll take some text from you guys at 502-414-1450. It's the Mike Rutherford Show. First episode of 2023 here on 1450 and 961, Back in Tuesday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show here, January 3rd. Happy 2023 to everybody. Hope your New Year's was fantastic. Uh, Patrick and I were talking during the break about the the drama of New Year's Eve, getting home, deciding, you know, I felt bad for Seacrest. It was a nightmare scenario for Seacrest because I get that Disney wins regardless. You got ESPN and ABC, they're owned by the same company. But the Dick Clark rocking New Year's, RIP, the Miley Cyrus rocking New Year, all the rocking New Year's. They had to have taken a significant hit in viewership because Ohio State-Georgia was one of the better college football games that we've seen in recent memory. And people were like, well, what did you watch? What did you watch? I was like, oh, I watched football, of course. There Very- was like the first college football playoff semifinal that was within five points, I think. Was in, it? In the history of the game, I think. Because the, the Georgia-Oklahoma game a few years ago was fantastic, but I think they scored like a walk-off touchdown in overtime, so that would have made it a six-point game. Um, I mean, there have been some good games. There have been some really crappy games, but yeah, it, I guess a I think, little bit surprising that that's the I case. I think the lowest margin before that was like six. That makes sense. And the other one was ended up being six. I think TCU-Michigan ended up being a six-point game. It was a hell of a... I mean, I didn't get to catch much of TCU-Michigan because I was... We went out to dinner, but we were following along. I mean, it, it was weird because out of nowhere, you know, TCU's been ahead by a wide margin. It was like 21-3, to three, and then it's 21-16. And I think the next time I checked my phone... It was 51-38. And I was like, oh, my God, they scored 44 combined points in, in the, the third quarter. But everybody's like, well, what would you watch, the ball or the, or the football? We watch, watch, we watch football. What are you doing? I'm not turning the football game off. Like, Mary is yeah. not going to turn it. She fell asleep, but she still would have not turned the game off at that point. She woke up right as the, the celebration was happening and the Georgia players were going nuts. I found myself kind of – because I don't, I don't like Georgia or Ohio State. And I grew up just loathing Ohio State because there are more of their fans around here then I went to Dayton and realized Ohio State fans are, by and large, like the worst. They're, they're terrible. But Ohio State deserved to win that game. They were dominant. The Georgia had no business winning. And I found myself rooting for Ohio State late just because it felt like the right result. And I knew whoever was going to win, I was going to root against against TCU anyway. But Georgia gets it done. I felt bad for the kicker. felt bad for everybody yeah. involved. It was a, But it was a hell of a game. Great way to spend a New Year's we, Day. We were in Nashville, so we did both. Watched the thing. Get that extra the- hour. That's right. Hour. That's the way to do it. Um, Central time zone is the best. I, I've come to, to figure that out over the years. It's the best. You'd be sitting there, and it'd, it'd be getting dark at like 4.45, though. That was the yeah, one that. thing. 
and you're right on the edge too in Nashville, which mm-hmm. kind of that that kind of sucks. But it, Central Time Zone, if you're in like Iowa, was the best. Stayed late long enough. Stayed light long enough. It was good. Also, like Letterman came on at 10:30. That was great. It was, it was not bad. Sports sporting events don't end at 1 a.m. like they do on the East Coast every single night. It was a uh, it was solid. The other thing that I haven't talked about when it comes to U of L UK on Saturday and it being a frustrating experience, they tease us with Jay Wright. And when I say us, I mean both fan bases at this point because UK fans are not overly enthusiastic about John Calipari right now. Like Jay Wright's there. You got pictures of him bro-hugging Josh Hurd before the game. He's, he's very complimentary to Louisville. I, I, a bunch of Kentucky fans were like, they're like, is Jay Wright openly rooting for Louisville? And usually, like, whoever you're rooting for, you're on the other side. You just assume the announcers are against you because they're not. And I, even I was like, he's being, <laughs> he's being very nice to Louisville right now. We were watching it at, like, a bar so we could watch that and the Music City Bowl and the Alabama-Kansas State game. Uh, so I didn't get any audio for the most of the game. Did he actually say we when referring to Louisville one time? I didn't catch it if he did, but I would not I have been I saw somebody surprised. tweet that he did. I didn't catch it. If that happened, I missed it. But he was very much like you could tell he talked to Josh about the team because he had significant thoughts on Mike James, like his style. And I'm like, I, I know Jay Wright's a diligent man. There's a reason why he was so successful at Villanova. I don't think he was watching enough game tape of Louisville for the past 13 games to like know the ins and the outs of guys that are getting you know 12 minutes per game. But he, he was he studied up before when he got the call to do the do the game. He he up. He, he was. Very much in felt like in Louisville's corner, which look maybe you know if both jobs open up, then he's he's leaning Louisville over Kentucky. I don't know, but the one thing since you know people are like oh you, if I'm being too negative to start the show again, one thing that did make me feel better was both he and Raff, who like everybody else, I love Bill Raftery. I'll whenever he retires, I'll I'll cry. But he and Raff both were talking about going to practice the day before. They went to the Louisville practice. And being impressed with Kenny Payne in practice. And look, it's one thing to give the the standard announcer, you, know, you got to give him more time. You got to give him more time. He's going to be great. He's, he's the right man for the job. No announcer is overly critical of, of any head coach. Case in point, bring it back to that 2017-18 season again. Think about all the every game that we played from January, February on. Every single announcer was like, you got to give David Patchett the job, right? Like, just make him the head coach, which you. you I don't think would have been the right move, but that's what announcers do. But in this particular case, both Raftery and Jay Wright, who understands what it is to have a good game plan, were singing Payne's praises as far as his scheme for this game, what he was saying to his team as far as how to attack Kentucky, what their weaknesses are. They were like, he put together a good game plan. He he, he knows what he's doing. And that made me feel comfortable because Jay Wright's not going to I know he's new to broadcasting and all this stuff but he's also not going to say something like that and not really mean it there are other ways to be not mean if you go to a practice and you see that the guy has no clear idea what he's doing doesn't seem like he's putting together a good game plan you can just say you know went to practice and you know he's he's trying to get the team motivated and stuff but they specifically said like he put together a good plan for this game which look if you're trying to be positive about the future that was something that was it wasn't just hey he's they're doing layup lines for two hours and nothing else. That would have been that would have been a red flag, but this was that was a good thing. I uh, think you get you get a little bit of credit because I think it was Thursday. Somebody asked, "Who's the random Kentucky player that goes off?" And you said Jacob Toppin. Jacob Toppin. Yeah, it was it was always going to be Jacob Toppin. I mean, it was we were going like every other team, we were going to leave him wide open, 
because we were going to have to double Oscar Sheeblay. The difference is he's going to make the shots against us, and he did. Now we left him way, <laughs> way more like, open, way open, than like most. wide open. Within most we, teams were leaving him wide open at the three point line. When I say yeah, we took I, it one step further. We were like, hey, I don't know if you can make this six foot push shot, and he was like, I, I can, and this layup, I can do that too. He and can we, dunk too. We were like, you got to keep proving it. But he, yeah, he, he, he definitely took advantage of the added space, and uh, it was, it was, he was the guy. You knew it was going to be him. If it was going to be anybody, and sure enough, Louisville is the get-right game for yet another struggling Wildcat over the years. It was nice to get back to tradition in that sense. At least it wasn't. At least C.J. Frederick was injured and he couldn't come in and hit like six threes. Because he would have been, That yeah. would have been the other one that, that would have happened. That would have been the, the easy one to circle, but it didn't happen. Props to Jacob Toppin. You got it done. The the other thing that stood out, I mean, Oscar Sheboy's numbers were gaudy, as you'd expect. But I'm not willing to just – I've seen some Louisville fans say, yeah, our rebounding was was bad. We gave up too many second-chance opportunities. But Shibway's a monster. Shibway's going to get those rebounds over anybody. And no, like Shibway's a monster, but you've got to make him work for it a little bit. Like our He guys, had as many rebounds as our whole team at halftime. At one point, I remember it was like 12-8, to 8, which was not good. Our guys don't do fundamental things when it comes to rebounding. We don't block out. We don't, we don't jump. <laughs> there are a couple of times where there was a shot clanging off the back iron and we had three guys clogged up underneath the rim who just didn't jump for a ball, and Kentucky came out with it. And it's like, if you don't do those things, if, if you don't clean up the defensive rebounding and the silly unforced turnovers, not the turnovers where you just have a really good defender who picks your pocket, but the ones where you run the baseline after being told you can't run the baseline, or you just throw it away to a guy who's standing 10 feet away from you, if we don't clean up those things, then all the other improvements that are being made or that we hope are going to be made don't matter. Like That's how you get killed. Not getting rebounds off of free throws because you're not boxing out the shooter. I mean, you played peewee basketball. It's like the first thing that you learn is like somebody on the free throw line says, I've got shooter. Like you, Everybody's ever who's ever played basketball has done that. We've given it. It's happened in games like seven times now where free throws up and the two guys in the back end of the block just don't move. And the other team comes down with a wild. It should never happen. Should never happen. And the second chance opportunities against Kentucky wound up being the only reason, or the biggest reason, why it never felt like Louisville was a legitimate threat to make that game closer than it should have been. And I mean, it's the simple ish has to get cleaned up before the more intense, the bigger picture things can even become a factor. We can have the best offense in America. We we can. You know, bring in the the Steve Kerr and pick his brain and have him run the offense. And it's not going to matter if we can't rebound and stop turning the ball over twenty times a game against anybody that we play. You got to do the little things right. Thank you, Patrick. That's, That's exactly right. That's where it all starts. That's exactly right. Five zero two four one four fourteen fifty is the Thornton Sucks line. Um, I, I go back to the beginning here, and of course, like everybody's just like traditional, unlike any others. We start twenty twenty three with dead air on the stream, which is what happened. But we're we're back now. Uh, the first text that came in before the show started said, "We're not going to talk about basketball, right? Because I would be much happier if we didn't." Well, hey, Josh Lifson coming back for another year. That was the big. I love that he did it during the U of L UK game. That's classic Lifson. He's like, you know what? I don't care if it's the game of the year in this city. I don't care if it's the game of the year in the state. I'm making my announcement right in the middle of the Louisville Kentucky men's basketball game. Josh Lipson, he's coming back, baby. KCD stand up. We love you, Josh. Uh, Texture says, 502-414-1450, how 
the bleep does one confuse Janelle Monet and Serena Williams? That was the, I was wondering the same thing on uh was it Thursday? Whenever it was that we were talking about Glass Onion, Trevor did I still haven't watched it. One, he didn't know who Janelle Monet was. Mm-hmm. Two, he then admitted that he thought it was Serena Williams. And then that's he tr- not the thing you admit. He it, tried to backtrack and say he met Rihanna, which which he was saying Rihanna. He was well. saying Rihanna. It it was bad anyway you slice it. The only thing that I could think of was there's a scene in the movie where Janelle Monet and is playing tennis. Well, no, she's okay. she's in a room. He shouldn't have been confused. Well, she's she's in a room with Benoit Blanc, the detective, at this super crazy house that the Elon Musk type main character has, and there's like a big screen behind them, and they inadvertently hit Serena Williams, like like usher and alert her for her to come in and give them like a free lesson. So Serena Williams is actually in the movie, and the only thing that I can think of is in Trevor's drug riddled mind. When he's watching this, that's what stuck. That, that that was one of the things that stuck with him was that Serena Williams, and it just he said the wrong thing when we were talking about the show the next day. But it was the that was the main thing that that Mary took from that show was how in the world did Trevor not know the difference between Janelle Monae and Serena Williams? It's a good movie. I liked it. Texture says, "Would you have supported Josh Hurd if he hired Rob Robinson over KP? Rob Robinson is the assistant coach from Last Chance U." And he's a very likable person on the show. Great character. I think that he just took a he took a job at a different junior college as a head coach this past season. And uh, no, I, I probably I still wouldn't. haven't really watched Last Chance U basketball. You should. Both seasons I mean, are good. I watched the few of the football seasons. The fo- football was good too. They're all good, but I like basketball a little bit more. The head coach at the Independence one, uh, where Brock Doman was, was he there? Yes. Uh, yeah, he got in some trouble. He did. They actually both got in trouble after the show's aired. But, uh, yeah, Jason Brown is, is currently unemployed. And, honestly, probably deserved. But Rob Robinson. Rob Robinson's the man, though. Coach Rob, he's the man. I like his story, too, because if, and again, if you haven't watched the show, I'm sorry. But he, he basically spent 20 years coaching high school basketball and becoming, like, one of the bigger high school coaches in America because his wife had a really good job. And, you know, he's, he thought he was going to chase these D1 schools. All, all like that, that was going to be his career. But – they got pregnant before they thought they were going to, and that changed things. And it was, it was really cool. Like, he sacrificed his career for her, and then now she's like, the next 20 years are for him. He gets to chase his dream because even being a really successful high school coach, like, it was – he couldn't get any offers to be a D1 assistant. He gets this lifeline at ELAC. He winds up, like, he's sweeping floors. He's, he's doing all this stuff that he never thought he was going to be doing. He's clearly a, a really good basketball mind. <clears throat> and now he's finally getting a chance to be head coach. It was a – it's a cool – cool story i like it was it was i enjoyed um also i researched something that i should have known one of the main characters this year who's like this cautionary tale he was one of the bigger players in america as like a 13 year old they build him as the next lebron and you know these basically just handled by the wrong people all these horrible horrible sycophants that cling on to 13 and 14 year old boys and have them move across the country to go to different high schools they, they convinced him to move from his hometown in Ohio to Arizona to play at the school that wound up um, winning two state titles and was nationally ranked. And I didn't realize till after it's the same school that was coached by Mike Bibby, who was doing some very shady stuff and then ended up getting fired for sexual abuse conduct. But it made more sense afterwards. I was like, oh, that's what was going on there. But the, the kid was just he he's gotten screwed by everybody and it was terrible. But good show. Texas says, uh, 
Didn't watch one second of the UK game. I won't watch one second the rest of the year. I'm still a fan. I'll still wear all my Cardinal gear. But why watch something that's just going to upset me? And if they don't care, why should I? The only hope I have is that they blow the roster up at the end of the year and start over from scratch. It's fair. It is. And I think I said this on the last show that we did before New Year. I don't judge anybody who has whatever approach to this current situation of being a Louisville fan. Like I've said it on my end. I'm watching every game. I've very, very rarely missed a Louisville men's basketball game in my life. I feel like I can count the number of ones that I haven't watched, gone to, or like followed along on stat tracker or something on one hand. And it's been usually like, I don't know, I've had a wedding or like a funeral or something that's been going on. It's, just what I feel like I have to do. <clears throat> but if you have also been that way, and right now for the first time in your life, you're saying, I'm checked out. I'm making plans during games. I can't watch. It, it makes me physically upset. I'm not going to blame you. I can't really relate, but I'm not going to blame you. None of us have ever been here. We've never gone through anything like this. Two and 12. Two and 12. And every analytic says it's even worse than just the record would indicate. Like we are, there's not a conference in America, any of the 34, where we'd finish in the top two. We couldn't win the Northeast Conference. We couldn't win the MEAC. We couldn't win the SWAC. We would be average in those leagues. We'd be bad in the Atlantic Sun. We lost to Bellarmine and Lipscomb, two of the middle of the pack teams in the Atlantic Sun, it looks like. If that frustrates you to the point where you're like, I can't watch this, it's bad for my health. I'm not judging you. I'm not judging anybody right now. And and if you're the total opposite and you're saying, I'm seeing improvement, I think Kenny Payne's the man, I'm fine with this, I think we're going to be great next year, I've still got faith, I'm fine with that too. I may not agree with everything. I may not agree with everything on either side, but there's nobody who I'm going to completely judge right now because this is unprecedented. It's weird for everybody. And everybody at the end of the day wants the same thing. We want this to get back to being fun. And right now, it's the opposite of fun. And I am, it is depressing hearing like 10 years ago, my group of friends, like we were borderline psychotic when it came to the things that we would do, the superstitious things that we would do before U of L games. I mean, I think we had the run in 2012, the run in 2013. We had like everybody had to sit in the same spot at our house, we had to wear the same stuff if it was postseason play. We had this gate in the backyard of the house that I lived in where we had to open it if it, during games. It like somehow brought us good luck. Like we drank the same things. And now like that same group of friends, I got friends who are like, I forgot about the UK game and I'd scheduled something at, at one o'clock and I missed the second half and I didn't care. Like it's just, it's insane how much it's changed in 10 years. And hopefully if it can change this much in the negative fashion, if it can be this extreme of a dip, it can be as extreme the other way if things get corrected, whether it's with Kenny Payne or with somebody else. Because the love is still there. It's still in our DNA. It's still in our blood. It's just a matter of getting back to regaining the old feelings, re- regaining the the fun factor, winning. If that happens again, I'm not saying the Yum Center is going to be 24,000 strong every single game right away, but it'll start to feel the way that it did 10 years ago. And until then, it's just, it's kind of sad. 
We'll take a break. We'll come back. 4 o'clock hour is up next. We will have Brett Dawson on at 4.30, the uh, UofL beat writer for the Courier-Journal. Talk about uh, Saturday's game as well as tonight's game against Syracuse. We do have a game to talk about later in the show as well. We'll take more of your texts coming up after the break, though. Get them in at 502-414-1450. It's the Mike Rutherford Show here on 1450 and 96.1 The Big X. Big on Fleetwood Mac, apparently, in the new year. Getting on in on the band at the right time. That's what TK's doing. Welcome back in. Hour number two here of the Tuesday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show. Happy 2023 to you. Hopefully a year that brings us more success, at least in the two biggest UofL sports and all the other UofL sports as well. 502-414-1450, the Thornton Sex Island. We'll take more of your thoughts in just a second. But did want to mention, because we haven't done it yet on the show, Donovan Mitchell last night. Bad night to have a career game obviously he started his his press conference afterwards um with his own thoughts uh, about what had happened in the monday night game and demar hamlin and, and all of that but 71 points last night unbelievable the eighth player in the history of the nba to score 70 or more points granted he did score 13 in overtime doesn't matter it still counts and the first time that anybody has scored 70 points in an NBA game since the famous Kobe Bryant 81-point game all the way back in 2006. Scored or assisted on 99, which is the second most ever behind just Wilts when he scored and assisted on 104. Unbelievable. I mean, everything about the performance was unbelievable. Uh, I started seeing it. Unfortunately, it was happening all at the same time as, as the Hamlin stuff was transpiring. And you, you weren't paying that much attention to it, but it did catch your eye from the people that were at the game. He, I, I mean, every point was necessary, as was mentioned. That you know, They won, they beat the Bulls in overtime by 11, but it was a very back-and-forth game for the first four quarters, and that's what his coach, uh, J.B. Bickerstaff, said afterwards. He said, we were treated tonight to one of the greatest performances in the history of the game. Every single play that he made was a play that was necessary. It wasn't like he was out there in a 40-point win or a 40-point loss just getting buckets because... You know, nobody was really caring at that point. It was a competitive game where he had to score all those points in order for Cleveland to win. I know that this is a a little bit of a tired conversation at this point, but I think we can all admit as UofL fans, we thought Donovan Mitchell had a chance to be a, a good NBA player, a guy who you know was in the NBA for a long time, made a lot of money, played in some big-time games, was a, a starter, maybe even slipped into an all-star game or two. Anybody who thought he was going to be this level of a superstar, man, more power to you. I didn't I didn't see that coming. I thought he could be good. I didn't think he would be 71 points good. I didn't think he would be perennial all-star good. I didn't think he'd be one of the top 15, 20 players in the league. 
good, and that's exactly what he is. And it's, that, it's exactly what he's been now for the last several seasons. He's so. top three, if not top one, at his position. He's incredible. Like he's he was two uh, rebounds from the seventy point triple double. And I remember and that's which would have been that's insane. unreal. I, I remember in the middle of his rookie year, Brett Dawson, who we're going to have on at four thirty, he was covering the NBA at that time, sent me a message and was like, "Did you know that he was like this?" He's like, "Because he's incredible." And Dawson's like, "Like he's going to be a, a star in this league for a long time." If what we're seeing in this first season is any sort of indication of what he's going to be capable of doing for the next decade, and my, I was like, I thought he could be good. I didn't think he'd be. To make the comparison, <clears throat> I didn't think he'd be as good at, as Terry Rozier at the next level. I thought Rozier had more of an NBA game, more of a, a that bounciness, a little bit more athleticism. Even though Mitchell is ridiculously athletic, but and as good as Rozier has been, Mitchell is clearly the star. I mean, he is. I don't even think it's a question anymore. He's the best NBA player to ever come out of Louisville. I know Wes Unseld had the big, you know, the, the rookie of the year, MVP of the uh, season. But as ter- in terms of longevity, in terms of overall stats, he is, and I think he will be remembered as, the most productive and best overall NBA player that this program has produced to date. And that's a, a testament to his work ethic, everything that he's done. I mean, this is a guy who came in here as not the most highly touted recruit in America, a lot of that being he was hurt in the on AAU circuit before his senior season. But people around the program, they all kind of said, like, watch out. Like, he's the next one. This kid's got a chance to be really great. And as good as he was at Louisville, he wasn't, like, first-team All-American good. He had a he, – he was a, a little bit of a role player his freshman season. Then his sophomore year, he started off slow. I remember Rick Pitino kind of was, was very hard on him the way that he played the first – two months of that year, had the breakout game against Indiana on New Year's Eve, and then was terrific in conference play, and I think wound up being first-team All-ACC, but still was not in the National Player of the Year conversation. It, it didn't have a deep run in the NCAA tournament. Would always have been remembered as a really good L player, but I don't think anybody saw this coming, and he is he's tremendous. And it was a career night for him, and more power to him because he's also one of the nicer guys to ever come through this program. So congrats to Donovan. Kevin Love made multiple Instagram posts about it, which I thought was funny. There's a Kevin one, loved it. There's one of them in the locker room, and there's one of him just hugging Donovan Mitchell. And it, it's just captioned 71. 71. Franchise record. Broke the, you know, more points than LeBron ever scored in the game. Broke Kyrie Irving's franchise record. And, I mean, seven players have scored 70 or more, or more points. That's it. Seven. And Donovan Mitchell's one of them. Will Chamberlain did it six times. Kobe Bryant had the 81-point game, as mentioned. David Thompson did it. Elgin Baylor did it. David Robinson did it. Devin Booker did it in the bubble a few years ago. Um, yeah, I don't think it was in the bubble. Wasn't that wasn't the bubble game against Donovan? I, I think you're right. No, it, it was, was uh, it was Sun Celtics when uh, Booker scored seventy. Gosh, and that's it. Those seven guys, and Donovan Mitchell's one of them. Unreal. Five zero two four one four fourteen fifty. As mentioned, Brett Dawson will join us at four thirty. We'll take some text before then. Um, Texter says. Louisville fans have been served a. I mean, you try. I mean, you try to pull the conversation in a somewhat positive direction, and then you get this text. Somewhat Louisville fans have been served a gigantic crap sandwich, and we have no choice but to eat it. We have no choice. Paints quite the picture. I mean, we really don't. Like you know, if you if you're supporting Louisville men's basketball, this is this is where you are right now. This is this is your team. Yeah, Devin Booker, his game was in 2017. Okay, thank against you. Against the Celtics. But they lost that game as well. I remember that too. Yeah. 
Texas says maybe KP pulls a Satterfield and does Louisville a huge favor by resigning out of nowhere. Then Josh Hurd can go get Jay Wright or Mick Cronin. Maybe. I, I don't think it's going to happen. But, maybe. But maybe. Sure. Maybe. Texas says the voices need the voices saying that we need to wait years are incompetent. College basketball is the easiest sport to rebuild. You completely flip the roster each year. This level of failure is laughable. I tend to agree. I, I mean, I, I think that Trevor's made this point a bunch, and I think he maybe sees it as a little bit easier than I do. But if you do have the right coach and you get the right mix of players in, it doesn't have to be a slow rebuild in college basketball. And I think that was honestly, that was the most exciting thing about getting Kenny Payne was that you felt like even with this program, we, I mean, we thought last year was the lowest of the lows. We, we thought winning 13 games, having the, that type of dysfunction, losing your head coach in the middle of the season, we thought that was as bad as it could ever get. And Kenny Payne coming in gave us the best possible chance to not just get things turned around, but turn around as quickly as possible because he was going to get guys. He was going to get the type of players, whether it was NCAA cloud still there, whether there were sanctions or not, he was going to get the type of players that other coaches couldn't get, that Mick Cronin couldn't get you, that Scott Drew couldn't get you. That Louisville has never gotten. That Louisville's never gotten. And maybe he still will. Maybe that's going to happen with the 2024 class. We're not seeing signs of that, and it hasn't happened yet. It certainly didn't happen with 2023, and we're not seeing that many positive signs that it's going to happen with 2024. And now the pivot has become you've got to wait. The culture's got to get instilled. The players will come later. And it's going to take some time. It's going to take years. And I, like, that wasn't the selling point with Kenny Payne. And I think if you brought in, let's say in the, the scenario that the, the previous extra brought up happens. Again, I'm, I don't think it's going to. I'll be shocked if Kenny Payne's not your coach next year. But let's say he did resign at the end of the year. It's just, this isn't for me. I made a ton of money being an assistant. Didn't have to have myself talked about all the time. It was perfect. I'm going back to that. If you hired a new coach in, in March where they have enough time to get in some players in the transfer portal, revamp the roster, maybe get in with some 2024 recruits, the expectation would be to, to be way better right away, regardless of who the coach is. And let's be real. If the head coach right now, the one who'd been hired in March, who'd been hired eight months ago, had been somebody with a proven track record of success— and they were two and twelve. If Mick Cronin was two and twelve right now, nobody's saying you gotta give Mick time. Nobody's saying this is okay. Nobody's saying it takes a while to build. People are, would be furious. People would be going nuts. People would be saying we hired the wrong guy. Kenny Payne was the guy who would have us with talent right now, who could have loaded this roster up immediately. Nobody would be satisfied with this. We're all still just hoping that this guy is going to be a tremendous head coach. Hoping, not knowing, because he's never done this before. We're hoping that this is a this is the learning curve. We need to see signs of something pretty soon. That's all I can say. It's got I don't know how many times I can say it's got to get better, but it's got to get better. It's got to get better. Texas, the online discourse surrounding basketball right now is the most toxic I have ever seen it regarding any local sport. Everyone is just fighting about KP. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, 
I don't really understand it, to be quite frank. I get the extreme emotions. I don't get everybody just assuming that they're 100% right and everyone else is 100% wrong. Are there a lot of red flags right now? Of course. Am I 100% sure that Kenny Payne is in over his head, to use the phrase that gets tossed around a lot, and that it's never going to be elite Louisville basketball again with him at the helm? No. I have no idea. This whole thing has been a guess. Every coaching hire is a guess to an extent. When you hire somebody with zero head coaching experience, it's a massive guess. And we're still not sure exactly how it's going to play out. But the fact that people are at each other's throat over this when all of us at the end of the day want the same thing, which is to see Louisville basketball getting back to where we expect the program to be. And we're just like lobbing personal shots at one another because of differing opinions on what needs to happen in order for that to take place is, I would say surprising, but I guess nothing really surprises you anymore. It's, it's people will get vile. People will get worked up, but I don't, I, I don't get it. Like, if you're of the belief that this guy sucks and he needs to get out as soon as possible, that's fine. But you don't need to to like personally attack people who are trying to defend him and who are saying he needs more time. And the same is true the other way. If you think – I mean, there are people out there who believe Kenny Payne was the right hire, believe he should stick around. And if they see anybody like putting a stat out there I, – I, I get attacked for putting a stat out there about how bad it is right now. What are we doing? Like, like – just stroll past if you, if you don't like seeing – it's not like I'm saying we like – I put the stat out there over the weekend saying we've lost four games to teams from the Atlantic Sun, the Horizon League, and – what was the other one? Sunbelt. Uh, Sunbelt. None of them have won a conference game. Combined 0-6 in conference play. Now, Bellarmine did beat North Alabama last night. So there's that. And people were like, this is ridiculous. Why are you doing it? I'm like, it's, it's a stat. If we had great stats to put out there right now that showed how well the program was doing, you bet your ass I'd be putting them out there. It's not like, like it, it is. The, the texture's totally right. It's the most toxic this fan base has ever been about anything, which is saying something. Consider we thought the program might be nuked forever five years ago. The Rick Patino debate about whether or not to fire him or whether or not like any, and I'm talk, I, I should say debate. It should be plural. After the cipher thing, after the the strippers thing after the FBI thing, any of those debates, somehow we're less toxic than right now, which just goes to show how much winning matters when it comes to sports of any nature. And it's it's such a pointless argument because you're arguing against blind hope. The people that are just trust KP, that's blind hope. Yeah. And you can't argue against that. So the argument is never going to go anywhere. Nobody's ever going to be like, well, maybe you're right. Maybe we do need to give him more time. None of those have ever ended like that. No, and that's the problem with the argument right now is that it hasn't changed. The, the evidence on either side has not changed. It's not like the Scott Satterfield argument going into last season where I think this time a year ago, I, I put the poll out there saying, like, you know, what's your overall satisfaction level with the job Satterfield's done? And it was overwhelmingly people saying they were dissatisfied. And then things changed because he started killing it on the recruiting trail or his program started killing it on the recruiting trail. And that became a talking point for the keep sat, support sat side, right? So you had evidence piling up. You, you had a debate, a back and forth discussion. Right now, the argument with a 2-12 and team that is historically bad is the exact same as it was over the summer. 
one side is just saying trust KP. He's a player's coach. He's gotten players everywhere he's gone. He's been at winning programs. And the other side is saying, look, we've never seen basketball this bad. We didn't get players in the transfer portal. We aren't getting recruits. The players aren't connecting. The product on the court isn't getting any better. Like, this is it's, – it's the same exact argument. And the pro-KP side has no new pieces of evidence to point to. If he starts getting it going on the recruiting trail, if we start landing some five-star kids from 2024 or even 2025 at this point, or if he starts killing it in the portal in the spring, then the conversation changes. But for now, it's the same tired back and forth where it's just, hey, these are the red flags that I'm seeing. They're making me pretty nervous. And the other side is saying, shut up. Trust this guy. Give him some time. And that's it. There's nothing else to be said. So it is annoying to see. I guess that's the right word. Texas says, I think KP has stayed on message that it would be a long process. I think his supporters and those that trumpeted the need to hire him thought he would bring talent right away. I think that's the disconnect. At least that's my two cents. I I totally agree with that. I, I think that Kenny Payne said from day one, like going to take some time. And the problem was the people, some of the people, I don't want to label everybody, paint everybody the same brush. Some of the people who were saying, this is the only choice, hire this man right now. Part of the reason that they were advocating so highly for him is they were saying, he'll get us back right away. Players right away, nationally relevant right away. We ain't missing the tournament again. Sold out Yum Centers, five-star guys, DJ Wagner, AJ Johnson, any acronym player you can think of, they're all coming here to play for us. And it didn't happen. Kenny Payne wasn't the one making those proclamations. Kenny Payne, at his introductory press conference, didn't do what Rick Pitino did at UK and UofL, which was basically say, I'm going to get this thing turned around quickly. Didn't say that. Didn't call a shot. Told us it was going to be a slow process. I don't think when he had that in mind, he was thinking 2-12 and 267 on Ken Palm, 330, whatever we are in the net. I don't think that was what he was trying to preach to the fan base, but he did say, bear with me. We're going to need to build this up. And he has continued to say that. Now, the people who are trying to rewrite history a little bit and saying, we... How could you have expected him to win more than two games going into 2023? Nobody was saying that. You, you can't find a person who was critical of the hire of KP or who was a fan of the hire of KP who three months ago was saying this team will have two wins when the calendar flips to 2023. Nobody thought it would be this bad. And that's kind of my problem with the people who are like, you guys wanted this man to be God. And now you thought Final Fours were coming right away. And now you're upset that they aren't. No, nobody thought he was going to be God. Nobody thought he wanted to go. Nobody thought we could go to a Final Four in year one. At least any rational fan didn't think that. We expected the, the team to show improvements in the simplest of areas fight, want to, desire, pride in the program. And yes, we expected to win more than two games with a non conference schedule that was challenging at times, but also had the, the requisite buy games in there. And to be two and 12 and to not have come within 12 points of anybody from a power conference is abysmal to be in the conversation of worst power conference team ever is not something anybody was expecting going into this year. And I don't think it's ridiculous to have expected a little bit more, even with the roster being what it is. All those things can be true and you can still be hopeful that things are going to get better. Texas says now that the other seasonal and sporting distractions are receding. When do you think herd makes a statement about the status of the b-ball team? Not a move, but a statement. Probably never. I mean, 
if he's asked about, I think the the best chance of that happening, because it's not like Josh Hurd is going to call a press conference about the State of the Union address regarding the Louisville men's basketball program. That's not going to happen. Because I don't think it's going to happen. But if you do, I mean, Josh has been good about when he has public events for other things, like the, the, the Denny Crum Hall ribbon-cutting ceremony, and he takes questions. The questions, as they tend to in those situations, aren't just about the event that the, the press is there for. Somebody will ask him about you know, Kenny Payne, men's basketball, and I think that's as close as you'll get to hearing him say something about what his thoughts are right now. And I don't think it's going to we, – we get the question every single day. I've already seen it on the text line today, and I, I get asked it every single day. Is there a record that would force Josh Hurd's hand – to cut and to, to cut ties with Kenny Payne. If we go two and twenty nine, is that enough to get Kenny Payne out of here? If we go four and twenty seven, is that enough for Kenny Payne? And the answer, he's not going to give you that answer. He, he's not going to come out and be like, he needs to win exactly two conference games if he wants a second year. It's not. What's far more likely is Josh Hurd gets asked the question about the state of the men's basketball program and says something along the lines of, "I support Kenny. He's doing." the best he can right now. He'll probably reference the NCAA stuff. And then also in the next breath say, having said that, we recognize that this is not up to the standard of the program. And nobody, I'm not happy about losing. I know people aren't happy about losing. Kenny's really not happy about losing. It'll be something like that. I don't think you're ever going to get his unedited thoughts on the situation, whatever those are. I don't think that's going to happen. Texas, I'm with you. Both I'm pro-Louisville and I'm not anti-KP or whatever coach was here. But with KP, if he does start getting good recruits and transfers, are you confident he can coach them up? I'd honestly say no with the info that we have so far. It's, it's the other part of this. It's the same thing that we said with Scott Satterfield. When the, the debate was before the season, how many games earns him, how many wins earns him a fourth year? With this recruiting class waiting in the wings, it changed things. But my big thing was, if you're saying keep him with a 5-7 and seven record or a 6-6 six and six record this season, what faith do you have in his ability to take all this talent and mold it into something special? Mold it into a 9-10-11 win season. And the same thing is kind of starting to rear its head here, where we don't have the type of talent coming in that we thought we were going to. But if it does happen, if this guy can't, <clears throat> excuse me, if this guy can't win more than two or three games with this group, how is he going to win 25-30 with another? Hit the cough button. Uh, yeah, it's kind of just who can't answer that question. It's the biggest thing right now. I, I think even bigger than the results themselves, even bigger than the, the swings and the misses on the recruiting trail is getting Louisville back, this rebuilding process, the end goal isn't to – make NCAA tournaments. You don't hire a coach at Louisville thinking, well, three years from now, he can get us in as a nine seed. Maybe we can win a game in the NCAA tournament. You want to be, like, this is, I say it again, every show this happens, this is Louisville. This is a program that competes annually for national championships when it's operating at its highest possible capacity. And if you don't think Kenny Payne is the guy who can get you to that point, you don't hire him. You don't hire anybody. You don't. The, the goal is national titles. Simple. And if at the worst with this roster, which again is not up to our typical standards talent-wise, but still features a five-star and a, 
Everybody else, pretty much, is a four-star player. If you can't take that and turn it into more than four, five, six wins, how in the world are you going to take a roster that's loaded with NBA talent, five- and four-star players, and turn it into 30-plus wins and a national title? And that, to me, is the biggest concern with what we're seeing right now. I fully expect things to get better. They can't get worse. We've said that before. If he makes the you know wins 15 games next year with a revamped roster, great. But what hope do we have that the the slow rebuild that's slower than we all hoped it was going to be ends with us getting back to being the elite of the elite? And the thing with college basketball is the elite of the elite all have these coaches with sustained success over 15, 20 years. Like Bill Self at Kansas right now, he's been there since 2003, has as many home losses as he does regular season Big 12 titles. Oof. There's not, there's no evidence, or Denny Crum and Rick Pitino both at Louisville before. Like, there's nothing that he's shown so far that shows me this guy can be at Louisville for 15, 20 years, have us competing year in and year out like the elite of the elite programs do. I think that's the big concern right now. I know they showed that stat on Saturday. It was like all these great head coaches, their first season, what their record was. At Hofstra. They were at like low major programs. That's the standard progression. You take that job. I like how Jay Wright was on there, though. Yeah, they threw Jay Wright there at the bottom. I mean, that's how it works. Like You go to a struggling low major. That's how you get head coaching jobs because they, they can't get anybody else. They take a gamble with an unproven lifetime assistant. And yeah, it's usually going to be pretty bad when you start up. It's not like Louisville should never be I don't think on a there list was a single, Oral Roberts or Omaha University. I don't or think Stony there was a Brook. single power five, power conference team on there. They weren't because none of those coaches just started at their power conference job. It was a it was an apples to orange argument, and I I get what they were trying to say, but it just it has no validity when it, it has no frame. There's no point in bringing it up when you're talking about it. It's a totally different circumstance. Uh, we have to go to break because we're going to try to get Brett Dawson on here, and we have to make sure that the phones can work. So we will try to get Brett on after the break. He'll, uh, he'll give us his thoughts on UK uh, and the Syracuse game tonight and everything else that's going on in the world of Cardinal basketball. That's coming up here. Keep it locked right here on Again, Mike Rutherford Show here on 1450 and 96.1, The Big X. I think the phones are working. We uh, we, we tried to figure it out during the break. It's uh, always a mystery. Uh, it's always a mystery. We'll see if we can get Brett Dawson on Should we put him, put him on right now? Let's do it. Uh, but he is Brett Dawson. He's the UofL beat writer for the Courier-Journal. Uh, we've had him on before. We're going to hopefully have him on again now. Uh, he should be good to go. Okay. Brett, how are you? I'm good. I think I'm here. There we go. Hopefully. Look at us. Masters of technology here at the Big X Studios. It's who we are. It's what we do. Uh, follow Brett on Twitter, as always, at B. Dawson Rice. Brett, how was the new year for you, bud? It's great. Uneventful, which is uh, sort of my standard procedure. I was watching uh, a lot of football and had my iPad out to watch a lot of NBA as well. That's uh, well done. Before we get into the L stuff, because we try to avoid it as much as possible, um, you 
pre- sure. in, in another lifetime, you, of course, you covered UK, but you also covered a variety of NBA teams. Um, last night, we were talking about this right before you came on, Donovan Mitchell, historic <laughs> performance, 71 points. And I remember you sent me a message like midway through his rookie season, and you were like, is this was he that good at U of L? Like, did you, were there any signs of this? Yeah. And I kind of had to be like, no, like he was very, very good. We thought he could be an NBA player, but I certainly did not see superstardom coming. Um, incredible performance last night. I don't know if you were able to catch any of it. I know we're blacked out for Cavs games here, but it was it was unreal. I did not get to watch any of it. I have ranted a little bit on Twitter about that today, this morning, um, because I am, I, you know, I'm a YouTube TV person. I don't, I hope I'm not interfering with any of your sponsors here, but uh, <laughs> that's my, you know, that's my service of choice. Um, but I also have League Pass because I love the NBA. I watch a ton of NBA games. I watch a game almost every night if I'm not covering a, a game or if there's not an ACC game that I really need to see. Um, but w- we have three teams blacked out on League Pass and the Cavs are one of them and it's, Pretty ridiculous. I, I don't like blackouts in general, but uh, you know, if you give us the Pacers, okay, like I'm all right, that's fine. But the fact that we have both the the Cavs and the Grizzlies too is it's too much. Very absurd. Um, as far as U of L is concerned, Cards go to Lexington over the weekend. They take a 23 point loss, which didn't really feel all that unexpected. It kind of felt like what most people thought that game was going to go. I'll, I'll ask this because people are, are constantly harping on on myself to you know be more positive, try to find the positive. So I'll ask you, are things getting better? What can you point to and say that this is improved as far as the way this team looked in early to mid-November and the way this team looks as the calendar flips to 2023 here? Yeah, it's a tough question because, you know, coaches are going to say that they've improved. And I feel like it's been, you know, John Calipari has this thing now where he just calls on whoever he wants. And so it's, you can't automatically ask him a question because he's like a teacher pointing out people. <laughs> so he said in his, you know, at the beginning of his press conference that they've gotten better and, you know, that they are better at things than they were in the beginning of the year. And I don't want him to just say, can you tell me something out of scouting them that you see that they're better at? I didn't get the chance to ask him. And I feel like we're getting a lot of intangible sort of answers to that question. Well, we're better. Um, but I don't know those ways. I think there are a couple of things effort-wise that I, that I think, you know, especially when you look at Sidney Curry, although Kentucky's a bad example because I thought he kind of his effort waned again in that game, just really wasn't there against Oscar. But, you know, I, I think the, the turnovers are not good still, and they're still turning the ball over on almost 25% of their possessions, but not 25%, which is progress. Turnovers are killing them quite as much, although Kentucky – really capitalized on not an overwhelming number of them. I do think that, like, they're figuring out a little bit of stuff with L off the ball on occasion that I like, and I think they need to do a little bit more of. But I still, to me, Mike, I think they do a lot of the same things um, that are kind of baffling. I still don't understand why in the year now, 2023, they essentially start three centers in modern basketball. I don't I don't like it. I haven't liked it at all. Um so I struggle. You know, for me, I, I do want to kind of present a balanced picture of it. And I think NC State is probably the most encouraging thing you've seen. And, and I will say this. I do think that's two straight games where at least the first run the other team makes isn't just totally crumpling them. And that's – it's something. That's not nothing. It's not much because you can't you know, you know, hang your hat on. We don't give up immediately. They were giving up immediately earlier in the year, so it's something, right? 
Yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's never good when you're answering that question halfway through the season, and the two main responses are they're trying more some of the time, and they're not giving up when they get yeah. smacked in the face completely. I mean, that's I, I keep, I know. It, it, but it is what it is. Like we're, again, we're not talking about a team that's like seven and seven and historically bad based on. Right, them being very good. Like this is historically bad for any power conference team, and some of the numbers are just they they continue to blow you away. Being down in the three sixties in you know assist rate in turnover rate when there are only three hundred and sixty three teams in Division One is just just mind blowing. I guess looking at the two months ahead, which are going to be even if they they win a few games, it's going to be a slog for the the players, the coach, and and the fan base alike. Like, what? Is there a move that can be made that can make this more enjoyable? Do they need to go with a smaller lineup? It seemed like they played a little bit better with, with Holly Hatfield at the five. What what can happen in the next two months that can give the fans hope moving forward? Yeah, I mean, to me, I'm going to I'm gonna just go down on this ship because it's really – like I keep talking about playing Kamari Landsmore, and he really doesn't play that well when he gets in the game. But he looks like the kind of guy you want to have on your team in 2023, right? He's 6'8". They want him to be a little bit more of a ball mover and not so much a guy who kind of uses the dribble and uh, has the ball in his hands a lot. And I get that. But I'd like to see them use him with the ball in his hands a little more, make him the guy as opposed to, to maybe Hershey Miller or Fabio Basile trying Kamari Lands as the guy who's got the ball sometimes when you want Ellis to play off the ball and just cook a little bit. I'd like to see them try that. I think it's at least a little more modern and potentially a little more fun and also gets, you know, a guy out there who I think if there's, if there are key pieces here that you want to keep as foundational guys moving forward, he's certainly one of them. And so just trying to use him a little more and use him a little differently. I'd like to see them try it. It's a hard argument to, you know, I I can't stand here and, and, and yell from the mountaintops about it because he hasn't played very well when he's been in, but nobody's played very well. And so to me, I think, Maybe you try something different, and he is a potentially dynamic player if you can kind of unlock some things. That's, you know, I don't have a lot to say, like, this is what's going to uh, th- make things better or more enjoyable, but I think that would be a start, maybe. We're talking Cardinal basketball with Brett Dawson here on 1450 The Big X. Follow him on Twitter at BDawsonWrites and read his stuff over there uh, at the Courier Journal. Uh, Brett, I know you wrote about this today. Nolan Smith had his press conference yesterday. He was asked about, you know, on-court struggles are one thing, but – the recruiting struggles, they're starting to, to cause more murmurs amongst the fan base. Do you think this slow start has anything to do with not getting the caliber of players that I think most Louisville fans thought Kenny Payne was going to be able to get? And he says, Nolan Smith said no. He said he doesn't think it has any effect. This is still Louisville basketball. This is still the Yum Center. We still have all these advantages. Do you think, I mean, do you think that's true? Do you think that this, this poor start is not? part of the reason why they're not getting the types of names that the fan base expected them to get in the 2023 or 2024 class up to this point. I mean, um, with respect to Nolan, no, I don't believe that. I mean, I do think that this has to hurt some because look, you said it, the numbers are pretty dramatic. If you're a, a Ken Palm guy, they're the lowest ranked power conference team at Ken Palm. That's crazy to think about Louisville being the worst Ken Palm team in the power conferences. I mean, think about who else is in the power conferences. Oregon State in any given year or, you know, Cal this year. Think about how bad Cal is and think about Louisville being lower than them at Ken Palm. So I do think the fact that they – and it's not just numbers because no, no high school kid is looking at Ken Palm numbers. 
But the program has been the butt of some jokes, and it, it's, it just looks so bad. The product on the court hasn't been good. And, and again, all due respect to Nolan, he said, you know, if you watch us, you can tell what we're trying to do, that we're trying to play fast. These guys can see what we're trying to accomplish. I don't necessarily know that that's true. Their tempo numbers aren't great, and I don't see a team that's really aggressively pushing consistently. You see that in stretches, but you don't see it all the time. Um, and, and I think there have been some guys with immediate eligibility, and I know global fans have been upset that some of those guys um, didn't look to come here, either transfers at the beginning of the year or reclass in the middle of the season. And I think for guys like that, when it's this bad, I don't think you want to be the guy who goes in there and people think this is going to be the guy who solves it because no one player solves this. Um, I do think, you know, what they have to do is, and I think it's too late for this high school class to be meaningfully transformative for them. And so they've got to, they have to dominate in the portal. They got to be great in the portal and we'll see how it affects those guys. If they can have a better off season in the portal than they did in their first one. Cause I think that's going to be the critical thing in this day and age, you should be able to build on the fly that way. And they, I think they just have to do it in year two. You obviously got to know Kenny Payne during your time covering Kentucky. And he did have a reputation for being part of the reason why John Calipari was able to kill it so much on the recruiting trail. You now, like you mentioned, 2023, the class is basically done. There are no five stars to be had there. I think the bigger concern for Louisville fans is with 2024, all these five stars who have visited, it doesn't sound like Louisville's really leading for any of them, and some of them have already committed elsewhere. Are you, as somebody who knew what Payne was doing at UK and who got to know him a little bit, are you surprised that that there hasn't been more of an instant impact on the recruiting trail so far at UofL? I am, and I tell you why I'm surprised, not just because I think Kenny is a great relationship builder um, and he has a great reputation as a recruiter, because look, Kentucky under Calipari, isn't they're going to get players. They continue to get players. Now they, you know, until this year, you couldn't say they've had classes like they had with Kenny, but lo and behold, now they do. The class next year, coming in next year, is very much like those classes. And so I don't think it was just Kenny Payne was the only reason for this. I do think he's a really good relationship builder and I think he's an excellent recruiter. But what surprises me, honestly, Mike, and you've, you've watched a lot of college basketball, they don't feel to me like they've gotten just the normal bump that a cool historical program gets when a new coach comes in. And that's been odd to me. They don't seem to be a team that, that the guys talk about a lot or that you hear a lot about in terms of like, you know, you don't, you don't see their logo on a lot of edits and that kind of stuff. You, just, you know, that, that seems to happen almost everywhere. Tommy Lloyd had that at Arizona. So I'm just surprised that you haven't seen a little bit more of that just from a, a normal kind of, uh, you know, raised profile that you get when you hire a new coach, let alone a coach who's got a bit of a name, even if he hadn't been a head coach before and a guy who was coming out of the NBA and has a reputation for recruitment and development. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised. Not that they haven't, you know, I didn't think they were going to get DJ Wagner, frankly. I didn't think that was going to happen. But the fact that they haven't gotten, you know, one of those guys in 2024 who makes guys turn and say, oh, that, you know, that's interesting that he's going there. I can look at Louisville a little differently. I'm surprised that hasn't happened. Do you think there needs to be some clarity uh, when it comes to the, the messaging from Payne as far as his NIL stance? Because it's getting talked about so much. And I think that there's still there's still some confusion on what exactly his stance is when it comes to NIL. And I'm not sure if that's part of the reason why you saw Louisville not have the success they needed to in the portal last year, but it's definitely part of the reason why the fan base fears that they're not going to have that type of success in the portal this spring, because let's be real kids transferring, especially transferring from power conference programs to other power conference programs. 
they NIL is going to be offered other places, and if you're not going to be bargaining, if you're not going to be competing in that manner, you're not going to get the Malachi Smiths or the Tyrese Hunters of the world. I mean, do you think that we, at some point before we get to the spring, we hear Payne kind of try to, to clarify his stance on that? I think it would be smart. And look, I don't think the, the basic idea of what he said about NIL, I don't think is that bad. Because I think what he's tried to convey is that NIL shouldn't be the reason you go a place. There's all these other reasons that you go, but NIL should be kind of the, you know, the way he's put it is that it can, it can be the, the, the sort of additive or kind of a cherry on top or whatever. And I don't think it's just that. Um, and I do think you can find a way to, to sort of split that message to say that, you know, there are all these advantages to Louisville above and beyond NIL, but I think you have to make clear that it's really important to you, um, that it's important to the university, and that, you know, look, he came from a place where all they did for 10 years was talk about players first, players first. It's a players first program. That's part of NIL now. Or NIL is part of that. If you want to really put your players first and put them in the best position to succeed, NIL is a huge part of it. And so I do think it's important to note that there's other stuff here, that there is a great fan base, that there's a great tradition that obviously means a lot to him and he talks about it a lot. But yeah, I mean, I think the days when you could sell the tradition and you could sell the NBA arena and you could sell the great fan base and that would do it are gone. And I do think it's important that he understands that. I think any coach has to understand that you got to embrace NIL and move forward with it uh, or, or run the real risk of getting left behind in it. Uh, Cards taking on Syracuse tonight is a Syracuse team that they've won six of seven after a pretty Louisville-esque start, losing to some low major teams there. Uh, Nolan Smith said he liked the matchup yesterday when he was talking to the media. Do you like the matchup, Brett Dawson? Is there a real chance that the Cards can go 1-3 and three in the ACC after tonight's game at the Yum Center? Well, I think there's a chance because anytime you play Syracuse, you know, it, if you just make shots, it changes a lot. They, he talked, uh, Nolan talked yesterday about how they've tweaked their zone just a little bit. They'll kind of man up a little when you get the ball into the middle of the court. But they've got some guys. I think Huntley Hatfield is a really interesting guy. And Jalen Withers to an extent, too, to just kind of, if you can get them in the middle of the zone, I hate to say this, I don't want to rub it in, but you can hope that maybe Syracuse's zone is as soft as your own was over the weekend, and you can get some stuff working in the middle of the zone like that. And then if you make some shots and you can kind of get L going, I think there's always a chance. This isn't a very good Syracuse team. They are playing much better. Um, but they're not a great team, and if you can make some shots and, and, and hurt them in that zone, you know you're not taking them out of it. They basically play it all the time. But if you can make it a game where they've got to keep up a little bit offensively, I think, I think you have a chance, especially on your home court, to, to beat them. But, uh, you know, the odds are against them, uh, the, the Vegas line and, and Ken Palmer against them, and I think that's reasonable. But is it, a, is it a, a, a game they have a chance to win? As opposed to some of the others, yeah, I think it is. Hey, we'll take it. Uh, he's Brett Dawson. Uh, we love his work. We love reading what he does over the Courier Journal. Follow him again on Twitter at B Dawson Writes. Uh, Brett, always appreciate the time, man, and, and best of luck in continuing to cover this whatever it is season. I'll, I'll try to have some fun with it. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for Brett uh, spending some time here on a game day with us here at fourteen fifty. The Big X. Brett's the best. Uh, he's uh, yeah. He's you got to get outside the box when you're covering a team like this and you're in the midst of a season like this. And do we blame Brett for what's happening right now? A little bit, as we should. Uh, he comes here, I don't know, bad stuff starts happening. It's, you know, we thought it was Greer's fault originally because Greer got here in his first season was the season after the national title game. And we lose to UK in the NCAA tournament. The next year we have a, a nice run after a, a little bit of an average season 
again, relative to what we were doing at that point in time. And the bottom falls out. But Brett has come here for the two worst seasons in my lifetime. And at some point, I think you got to say, we're taking Brett off the beat. We're putting somebody else on. I don't, I don't know who else you would put. But we need to give somebody else a shot because we can't keep doing this. A little bit of news. Okay. Uh, the game tonight, Louisville-Syracuse, has been moved from ESPN New, uh, ESPNU to ESPN News. Okay. So that is, uh, I know it's 207 on DirecTV. If you have Dish or whatever, you're going to have to find what channel that is for you. I'm assuming it's because ESPN is probably doing more programming um, around the DeMar Hamlin stuff. Yeah, I'm assuming they're going to keep some coverage on that through all their networks. And Okay. That's fine. I mean, look. Because ESPN News is normally, like, the one with, like, the little box and, like, all, like, the That's correct. stats and stuff. So Louisville will not be on ESPNU tonight. ESPN News has the coverage. I believe it's still Dave O'Brien and Corey Alexander on the call. Again, Syracuse is a nine-point favorite. Like Brett said, it's it's not a great Syracuse team. And I feel like this is the, the fourth time game in a row where we said this about an opponent that we're playing that we're supposed to lose to handily. Like, I don't think UK is a great UK team. Again, relative to, to their standards, I don't think the NC State team that we lost to by 12 is an NC State team that's guaranteed to make the NCAA tournament. And this is a Syracuse team that, just putting it frankly, is I don't think they're going to make the NCAA tournament. It's a Syracuse team that opened its season with a loss to Colgate. Uh, they lost to Bryant. They lost to St. John's. Illinois beat them by 30. They've already lost to Pitt. Um, they do have a, I mean, they're 2-1 and one in the ACC. They beat Notre Dame, and they beat Boston College by 14 in their most recent outing. But this is not – it's not a very good Syracuse team. They struggle defensively like Jim Boeheim's teams have recently. Joe Girard's an, an electric shooter. Um, like the – who's the – Judah Mintz is a star freshman, could potentially be a first-round pick in the NBA draft. And then their center, Jesse Edwards, has gotten markedly better. He's averaging a double-double right now. But outside of that, it's just – it's a bunch of average dudes. And the zone, they don't have the same type of length and athleticism up top that is used to make it deadly back in the day. Louisville should get some open looks from the outside. If they can knock them down like they did against Western Kentucky, they got a fighting chance. Louisville, look, it's Syracuse. Gerard's going to launch from anywhere. You've got to make sure that he doesn't go off for 35 tonight, which is entirely possible because we have struggled with identifying elite shooters and making sure that there's a body on them. But it's in a normal year, this is a game that you would circle and say, can't lose it. Be, not because... You know, it's a chance to win, but because they're not a very good team. Is tonight the night we play a power conference team single digits? Man, you put me on the spot. Back-to-back-to-back um, to back to back covers, too, in that situation. Three straight covers would be incredible. It'd be, it'd be incredible. It'd be incredible. We have not, as successful as we had been against Syracuse when Rick Patino was here, because that was the thing, you know, Calipari owned Patino. Patino owned Jim Beheim. Patino, I think, won 10 out of 11 against him at some point. Uh, we beat them in the conference tournament championship game in both 2009 and 2013. We beat some really good Syracuse teams handily back in the day. But the last few years, they kind of have had our number. They beat us by 23 last year. We pretty much gave up in that game. I don't trust us to handle a 2-3 zone effectively. I don't think I don't know if our 2-3 offense is going to be great. I'm I'm probably and I know I'm spoiling the end of show prediction here. I'm not going to predict that we keep this thing within single digits. I'm not, and it's sad because Syracuse is not very good. There's nothing that says that they should beat a team from Louisville, even a bad Louisville team, 
by double digits, but here I am. Um, Syracuse, by the way, if you're wondering what they do well, what they don't do well, I mean, their biggest weakness, and this is part of the reason why I don't have a great feeling about tonight's game, their biggest weakness is is rebounding. They, they've got – Edwards is a great rebounder. They give up a ton of second-chance points on offensive rebounds, though, and we don't rebound well at all. Like, we don't – for whatever reason, we don't send guys to crash the glass. We don't – you know, coaches always say, use every shot attempt as if it's a pass, as if it's a potential assist. If he misses it, come down with it. It's the easiest two points you'll get. Rebound right around the rim, go up, dunk it, boom, two points. You're great. We don't have that mentality at all. None of our big guys have that mentality. I mean, Jalen Withers, you know, Brett was talking about Sidney Curry kind of disappearing in the UK game. Jalen Withers also was just a non-factor in that game. And there's no opponent where those two guys should have just a ghost role. And they didn't do anything. I thought Huntley Hatfield played well. He did what he could. But when you don't have any front court help by from the other two big guys who are getting major minutes, there's only so much you can do. Withers should be crashing every shot. Every shot, both ends. He should be a guy who, who should be getting you around 10 rebounds a game. And that's just not even coming close to happening right now. So I don't like our chances of taking advantage of them there. They also force a decent amount of turnovers. We don't need teams that are good at forcing turnovers to turn it over 19 times a game. Um, so that's also a little bit concerning. They shoot it well enough from three, especially their elite shooters, that if they get wide open looks, they're going to knock them down. We have struggled to identify shooters this entire season. It's just, it's not a great Syracuse team, but I don't like the way that they match up with us. Granted, we don't match up well with anybody right now, but this one especially, I don't don't feel overly confident about. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, hour number three is on the way. We'll get back to you guys on the text line. We'll also share some other thoughts on uh, Cardinal basketball and a couple of football notes to get to. We'll try to shift the conversation a little bit. It's the Mike Rutherford Show. It rolls on next here on 1450 and 96.1 The Big X. Welcome back in. Five o'clock hour here. Tuesday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show on 1450 and 96.1 The Big X. Happy New Year to you. Happy 2023. Uh, intern Patrick in the house. Trevor Kelsey not in the house. Patrick, what's your stance on how long you can say Happy New Year to people? When does that, when does that run its course? January 5th. Somebody said it to me at the very end of January last year. And I kind of was like, eh, it's January 28th. We're a full month in now. You can't say Happy New Year anymore. And he was like, I, I feel like you can say it through the end of January. I feel like once it gets to February, and I don't buy that. I think the first couple weeks, maybe, second week I'm with you. You're pushing it a little bit. But I think at a certain point, it's I like, think when it's everybody's, anymore. When everybody's been back to work for a few days, you're already in the swing of that next year. Christmas stuff's down. We're, we're, the year's not new. We're, we're going. We're, 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 we're firing now. We're good to go. The year's not new. Stop saying Happy New Year. But for right now, Keaton's like, oh, we have basketball camp tonight and I was like I gotta write about it a little bit she's like I think I can write the preview for you at this point I can't remember exactly what she said but it was like it was like we lost we suck it wasn't close LLS did kind of good there you go and I was like 
pretty much. That's that's pretty much more or less what I have to say. But the cards do take on Syracuse tonight. 7 o'clock tip-off time out there at the KFC Yum Center. And if you missed the news, the, has, there's been a change in the television coverage. ESPNU was scheduled to cover the game. That game will now be on ESPN. episode of the Mike Rutherford Show here on 1450 and 96.1 The Big X. If you've got financial goals to meet for the new year, maybe you put that on your resolutions list, one place can help you out in the city and one place only. Nobody else can do it. First Bankers Trust is that place. Visit firstbankerstrust.com to find out how they're going to make every dollar count for you at First Bankers Trust. They work with every client individually to help you meet all of your financial goals. They offer a wide range of services, including investment management, trust and estate services, philanthropic services, and financial planning, plus, plus, much more. Visit firstbankerstrust.com to find out about that much more. Starting the new year off right, winning basketball games in the ACC, getting things going in football recruiting, making money, keeping money, doubling money. It all starts with one word. It starts with trust. Trust. First Bankers Trust. That's why Patrick's the best in the biz. Firstbankerstrust.com. We should mention also, it wasn't just the men's basketball team struggling over the weekend. The Louisville women's basketball team took a tough loss to Duke, 63-56 to at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Cards still looking, uh, still trying to, I think, find themselves a little bit now. 11-5 and overall, 2-1 and in ACC play. Haley Van Lith has been terrific as of late, so has Chrislyn Carr. But I think still, still some chemistry to be found there. Cards won't be back until they play two games at home. Georgia Tech coming up Thursday night at the KFCM Center. And then, um, I can't remember who the game after that is. Georgia Tech is all you need to know. Thursday night at the KFC Yum Center. That's going to be an ACC Network game. So if you, ha- if you haven't been able to watch the cards lately, you'll be able to watch them take on the Yellow Jackets. 8 p.m. on Thursday. All right, 502-414-1450 is the Thornton sex line. Before we get to there, I've got to thump my chest a little bit over the Detroit Lions. How about that? Playoff caliber? Playoff mix? Not a great shot at the playoffs. Although Fox... Fox- no chance at the playoffs. All right, that's right. You're a Packers fan. Like Sunday it. night, last regular season game in all of football. Unless, of course, the pay, the Bengals and Bills end up playing a game after. Sunday. I'm not confident about it. and You shouldn't be. I'm not. The Packers have been great recently. They're haven't, playing at Lambeau in the last week of the season. That's haven't not haven't the Lions won like seven out of their last eight? The Lions have won. No, they've lost seven of their last nine. Seven of their last nine. They lost yeah. on Thanksgiving, and they lost to the, uh, the Panthers a couple weeks ago. The problem, though, is the, the Packers are winning. They get in. The Lions, they need a Seahawks loss. They need the Seahawks to lose to the Rams, and they have to beat the Packers themselves. So there's a chance, because the game is now standalone, that they'll already know going into Lambeau that they have no shot to make the playoffs. Which I don't, I don't, I don't like that. But they could at least screw Aaron Rodgers over, which would be something. So maybe. But I, hey, t- to be in the last week of the season as a Lions fan and still have your season not be totally over is something that hasn't happened in a few years. I'm excited. Yeah, about especially it. since you're a Reds fan too. So it's. Thank you, Patrick. Even more uncharted territory. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. You, Jair Alexander. He's the man. The man. He is the man. He'll be on Amon Ross St. Brown. 
Yeah. After it, shutting down Justin Jefferson last weekend. One catch for 15 yards. Gritted in his face. Wore a big hat after the game. The one time I need the damn Fraud Kings to do something good, they could not have let me down harder. The Fraud Kings and the Jets both just sucked. I needed one win from one of them. Couldn't happen. 502-414-1450. we got about uh, what, 20 minutes left here. Get your thoughts in on tonight's game or anything that's been on your mind. We'll end it. We'll make some predictions about tonight's game against Syracuse. Texture says, are we going to mention that Calipari didn't let up on KP at all? He left Oscar until the end. It doesn't hurt my feelings, but what a friend you have there, KP. I was shocked that he, like, Sheepway's still in. It's They're up 27 in the final minutes. And all I could think of the entire time was, like, he's he's one bad step away from this being a disaster for Calipari. It's, like, he's taken care of business. He's avoided the potential just doomsday loss to the worst Louisville team that he's ever had to face. The fan base already is upset with him. If you lose that game, clearly people are going to be pissed. If you come within single digits of losing that game, people are going to be furious. You've avoided that. But if you lose your player of the year to an injury because he's in in the meaningless final seconds of a blowout win over Louisville, it's almost worse than losing the game itself. I was shocked that he had him in the game. And, and I don't know if UK shows have talked about it at all or if they've just kind of glossed over it, but... It seemed just like a he had all the starters out there. It was a dumb. And it's thing. not like Oscar's never gotten injured. He was exactly he missed the first few games of the year. He's probably not even all the way back. And if he look, if you lose Shibway, there goes any shot you had of making a dramatic run in March and, and going to a Final Four, or winning a national title. Like it just, I was stunned. I was, I was like, am I seeing things out there? Because look, does it really matter if you beat Louisville by twenty three or twenty seven? Just get him out of the game. He wanted that cover. What are you doing? Uh, Texture says, if we can get a top transfer with a cloud over our head, we should with no cloud. Was there a cloud when we got Carleek? Was there already a cloud? Well, he, we got Brandon Holly Hatfield this oh, year. Yeah. I think I think that's the reference. But oh. I mean, there's been a cloud over our head for five years, up until the last two months. Big cloud. And it was there when you got Carleek Jones. It, we the thing is like we don't even. I, I mentioned Carleek Jones and Damian Lee. We don't even need those guys. Like a a Kristen Cunningham, a fresh Kimball, hell, a Quan Four would have helped this year's team dramatically. L. Ellis needs a backcourt mate. He needs a running mate. He's out there doing it all by himself. We don't, and you know, people were saying Mike James can play the guard, Kamari Lance can play the guard. They have to. It's very clear that they're not natural twos, and they're not helping L. Ellis significant when it comes to ball handling. We have no other ball handlers, and he has to play 40 minutes because when he comes out, Whoever's trying to run the point, whoever's trying to be the primary ball handler, is getting picked. Like he he has to do it all. And if we just had one other capable guard, I think it would change this team dramatically. And when I say dramatically, I don't mean we'd you know we'd have a winning record, but we'd be we'd be much better, and we'd be I think a lot easier to watch. And we didn't do that. And I don't like you didn't ha- it didn't have to be Tyrese Hunter. It didn't have to be Malachi Smith. It could have been. A, a whatever guy who's averaging six points at Michigan State this year. We needed that player, and we didn't get him. And we need a lot more of them for next season. I'll tell you that much right now. Texas says Louisville fans are the ones that should be begging for an expanded NCAA tournament. It's the only way we'll get in. Well, they're not expanding it by that much this year. So if they did. If they expanded it to 350. If everybody gets in, in, we'd have a shot. We'd, we'd, have, we'd be on the bubble right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what do they want? They want like 25% of. D1 teams in it or something. 
this. They want. They're going to try to to. They won't double it, but I think they want to get to what like ninety. I think to make it twenty five percent of D one teams. Just leave good things alone. But TJ on Twitter brought up a good point. The if the NIT counts towards that that ninety percent number, which is owned by the NCAA. Yes. You're already at that twenty five percent. You're over twenty five percent. You're at like, aren't they at one hundred and sixty eight plus thirty two teams make the NIT. Sixty eight plus thirty two. Yeah. So uh, one hundred four. Uh, I mean, well, one hundred. <laughs> 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 Math. The strong suit of the Rutherford show strikes again. We. Uh, yeah. I mean, I. I don't. It's all great. It's all money. Could you make more money with an expanded tournament? Yes. But at some point, you're making an. It is a billion dollar. Revenue-producing event for the NCAA, and at some point, I say this knowing full well that it's a ridiculous statement. At some point, the satisfaction of the fans and the players and the coaches should be taken into account. And I know some coaches are coaches are probably the wrong people to include in that because a lot of coaches want the expanded playoff because it'll or tournament because it'll save their jobs. You, know, you can say, "I'm an NCAA tournament coach in seven of the last eight years," when maybe you would have missed two of those if the tournament had still been 68 teams. But the fans overwhelmingly don't want this changed. And, like, we're the reason why the TV numbers are so high. We're the reasons why March Madness has become a a staple of Americana. Like, just leave it alone. 64 was perfect. We're willing to accept 68. It gives us a couple of games on the two nights before the first round. That's fine. A full extra round would just water down what is a— Almost perfect postseason. Anytime where it's like a there's gonna be buys, I don't like that at all. I don't either. Even though like eight eight or four teams technically well, eight teams, yeah, four games. Eight teams really like get an anti buy almost, but who cares? It's silly. It's I hate that it might happen. I thought we avoided it when the, when it came up during the last helping of, of suggestions. And I mean, the way that it was avoided was they made that deal with TBS with with Turner that the Final Four every other year would be on either TBS or TNT because that you know it's it's never going to be as highly rated as it was on CBS. But for Turner, it allows them to say TBS had a program that pulled in this many viewers on this year. It's a huge deal for their advertising. So that was the that was the only reason why we were able to avoid expansion the last go round was they made that deal. I would hope I was hoping it would last for. Decades. It looks like it's only going to last probably eight years, but hopefully they can find some other way to I think, shoot that down. I think twelve might be too much for the college football. I mean, for the college football playoff, I think eight was a good number, but twelve's all right. I'll accept twelve. Texas says, "Imagine being relieved losing to sixty-four East by only twenty-three. Well, that's that's where we are. That's where some people are. Texas put JJ Trainer in the middle of the zone." I thought JJ did some good things on Saturday. He wasn't. He did some good things. He did a few good things. He did a few good things. Texas F the cloud. The defending national champions had the same cloud as us. Oh, I'm not saying it's, it's a valid excuse. I, I, I think that it. Does it justify some of the struggles? Sure. I'm, I'm sure there's a kid or two who maybe Louisville would have had a better shot at had they been able to say, look. We're going to be eligible for the tournament. Don't worry about it. There's there's nothing that we're dealing with. But as the texture says, it's not just Kansas. It's every other team that had the same cloud that we were dealing with. They all got players. Memphis got players. LSU got players. NC State got players. Arizona got players. Kansas definitely got players. 
we're the only ones that didn't get players. Was our situation a little bit different? Sure. But the big thing was the same. Kansas couldn't guarantee to a, a kid transferring last spring that they were going to be eligible for the 2023 NCAA tournament. LSU sure as hell couldn't. NC State couldn't even at that point. Memphis couldn't. They all still got guys. We didn't. Texas Jay Wright had a lot of we's and R's during that game. I'm just saying, Steve Harvey gift. It felt like it was it, it felt like a tease. Just having Jay Wright there, having him be so complimentary to Louisville, having him bro hug Josh Hurd. It, it felt it, it it felt like something. Texas, I just looked up Patrick's TJ Walker, the card stalker Twitter account, and just saw the bio that said, I stuck the cards, and I was laughing so hard. My wife didn't think it was as funny. I do, I do like the account. I rarely use it, too. It's like, there's like a couple tweets on there. And sometimes, and like anytime I'm like, uh, I don't know, anytime I have to like tweet it, like, or like wondering if somebody else has like the same issue with like, a glitch in a video game or something. I'll use that account too. Just so it's not for my personal account and people that follow me don't see it. Will, if there's something wrong with Madden, I'll be like, hey, anybody else have this issue? Well, now they all like know. a Madden account. Now everybody knows. Texas, I wore the same clothes in the Big East tournament through the Final Four in 2012 in public. Now I have a hard time watching the game on an, or an episode of Bluey with my daughter. I did the exact same thing in 2012. I wore... It was a horrible outfit. I wore a... I think it was a Big East 2009 championship T-shirt. I wore it like under a long sleeve shirt with jeans and like brown shoes for the first game that we played in the Big East tournament against Seton Hall. And then I wore that outfit the entire Big East tournament. And then I wore it the first four rounds of the NCAA tournament. Then we went to New Orleans for the Final Four where it was scorching hot. I wore that same outfit to the Final Four because I couldn't change. I'm like marching to the Superdome. It might these damn brown boots or whatever, like jeans and scorching hot weather and a long sleeve shirt under a short sleeve shirt. It was, I looked ridiculous, but you got to do what you got to do. I wore the same shirt for every game of the 2013 run, and then I retired it. It's still in my third drawer of my dresser. I'll, I'll never touch it. it. We had a retirement ceremony. No idea what I wore to any of the, for any of those games. You I were, watched you a few were of them. Young. You were like I seven. watched a few of them. I was you're, like six and seven. You were a child. I was at the 2013 games. But these are the same people, the, the same people that are were doing this insanity 10 years ago are now saying, like, I don't even know, like, I'm, I'm not watching the games. It's unbelievable how quickly things changed. And hopefully it's a sign that things can change back just as quickly to the positive side whenever we get it going. Everything changed negatively for me by the time I was, like, old enough to pay a lot of attention. It, that's when it went downhill. I feel very sorry for you. Like, you... There were a few flashes. Like I was, I was with friends in my basement when we beat Duke at Cameron Indoor, and Malik Malik uh, Williams yeah. dunked on him. That's the most fun I've had watching a Louisville basketball game since like since I became old enough to actually like be aware of the program as a whole and not just like oh cards are on TV. That just made me really depressed. It made me sad because I at least I mean I remember finding out. When I really got into Louisville basketball in like the early 90s, mid-90s, when I'm like 9, 10, 11, 12, I remember fi- like that was the first time that I found out how good we were in the 80s. They used to have those ESPN shows where they would have like, it was like a 30-minute program. They show highlights from a Final Four from a specific year. They had like marathons of these on ESPN. And I, that's how I learned about bas- what basketball was like in the 70s and 80s. And I remember like one day <laughs> going to my dad and being like, 
I didn't realize we won national titles before. I didn't realize we were in the Final Four every bleeping year in the 1980s. And my dad let me know, like, this is this – is, it wasn't always like this. Like, like the teams that I was following in the 90s, we were better back in the day. And I at least had the surprise run to the Sweet 16 in 96 and the surprise run to the Elite Eight in 97, which is what really hooked me. I was 11 and 12 for those years. I at least had those moments. And then we didn't win another game in the NCAA tournament until I was a senior in high school. And I thought I had it bad. Yeah, like missing out on the '80s when my brothers and my dad got to celebrate that. I feel, I definitely yeah. feel bad, bad for I was kids in your situation. I like through like middle school and high school. There was one time, well, yeah, I think there's one time where in school, I'm like the teachers putting putting on the projector an NCAA tournament game and Louisville's playing. I think my eighth grade year, Louisville Minnesota was the only time that's happened, in through my middle school and high school career. Ugh. Texture says, texting about glitches from a burner account, Patrick. So does the Bring Brom Home guy. <laughs> the hype continues. The speculation continues. He said he's a male grad. If I was even trying to throw people off my scent, I wouldn't say I'm a male grad. It's like the worst insult possible. What yeah. are we talking about here? We've got to find out who this guy is. Texture says, are you saying that uh, having Jay there felt right? Oh, come on. Ha. Ah. Come on. Am I right? Texas, any of any talk of the expanding tourney makes me disillusioned with people promoting it like Jay Billis, who I usually respect. Gaslighting is not a good look. Is Jay Billis saying he wants the, the tournament expand? I can't imagine that. I'd be very disappointed if he if he was. That would suck. Because it's it's good. I'm off the Jay Billis train. You're off. He's gotten You know, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. He's kind of getting annoying to a lot of people. And I there, there is a, a point. Oh, he follows zero people on Twitter. I'm even further off the Jay Billis train. He followed one for a brief moment, and then he unfollowed. It was like that that the little girl who became friends with the Michigan State player, and then she passed away from cancer. Um, so think, then he unfollowed her. Yeah, which I I thought was kind of a. I remember looking. I was like, I wonder if he's still following her, and she's not. And then Adrian Payne, the player who was in question, ended up he died recently, um, which is super sad, but. That was the only person that he ever followed, which I thought, yeah, kind of annoying. But the whole, like, going after the refs, it gets a little bit annoying in games. Like, there are certain times where he's just complaining about every call, and I'm like, that's that, that was, it was it was a charge. Sorry. Quiet it down, Jay. Texas says a majority of the Louisville fan base are starting to sound like Dr. Seuss characters regarding viewership of the basketball team. I will not watch Louisville basketball while eating green eggs and ham. Sam, I am. Kind of. There's a little bit of that. Texture says, uh, is Jay a iPad even around this year? I don't even know what that – I think that's a mistake. I don't know. Got to be a typo. Texture says, first things first, happy birthday to Mary. I hope it's a great one. I don't know how fans can even be fighting about anything regarding basketball. I'm so apathetic at this point and just know we're going to lose every game, so who really cares? P.S. Mary, Drew Carey might argue that he loves you the most. Y'all always have punch a bunch. I would I- – Get your carry out of my face. When I first heard that, I thought he was saying, I don't know how people can be arguing about Louisville basketball on Mary's birthday. <laughs> yeah. I thought that's where he, what Classic he was Classic Patino. On the day that Ted Kennedy passed away, Texas Billis was the first ESPN guy that I heard talk about expanding a few years ago. I don't like that. Come on, Jay. Uh, Texas is Jay Billis even around this year. That was what he meant, not iPad. Yeah, I mean, he, he was he, he was in Maui. Visible. He he was in Maui, but he has not been as visible so far this year as I feel like he has been in some seasons past. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Texture says, um, 
my grandmother's birthday is January 7th, so a natural cutoff holiday for me to stop saying Happy New Year. January 7th oh. is fair. <laughs> it's grandma's birthday. Can't say Happy New Year anymore. We're done. It's We're done. <laughs> Happy New Year season over. Grandma's birthday season in. That's where we are. Texas says the last day to say Happy New Year, which was the question you asked to start the hour. Oh, first day at work. Yeah. People are saying that. Second day, you're saying if somebody comes up to you second day at work and says Happy New Year, you're gonna you're gonna tell them to get out of your face. I think the first week is fine. First week, though. first week. Texas, I've heard that a five star recruit was in was in recently and went to practice. He said that the practice was so organized that there was no way he would come here. Sad. I hope that means unorganized. I hope that's another typo. But no, but it was so organized. He said he could too, too organized. They got it together too much. Too I, organized. I want to go to more of a dysfunctional place. I hope that that's not the case, but. I mean, I know that Nolan Smith, we talked about it with, with Kenny Payne. Nolan came out yesterday during the press conference and said, our record's not hurting us in recruiting. That's not the reason why players aren't coming here. You know, we still got the Yum Center. We still got Louisville. He did mention, he's like, we have the fan base, even though they're being harsh on us, which just blanket advice to the entire staff right now. I know that you're probably pissed at the fan base being critical. I know that you probably think it's not warranted. Maybe just don't mention the fans at all for for a brief period until you can get everybody back on your side. Maybe just understand that everybody's going through a hard time with this because we have never been this bad in the history of the program. People are going to say things. Maybe just people aren't happy about two and twelve. Maybe just so. don't mention the fans. Like I, I, I see this stuff and then I, and I'm not saying like I wish we'd had Mick Cronin here, but I saw Mick Cronin's long comment about being at UCLA and talking about how you know people keep telling me. You know, how lucky they are that we, you know, we're having this great start and all this stuff. And he's like, I'm the fortunate one here. I'm coaching in John Wooden's job. Like, this is incredible. Like, this just go, falling over himself to, to give credit to the program and the fans and every comment in that uh, on the tweet about the quote or like the fans saying, like, keep Mick for life. Like, let Mick take over the football program. Like, all this stuff. Like, just <laughs> if you're going through a tough time, maybe cater to the fans a little bit. Maybe talk about how great the program is or, or, or let us know that you are happy to have this job let us know that you feel fortunate to be here and I know Nolan is used to being at Duke and that certainly is you know the peak of the mountain when it comes to college basketball but man I gotta imagine their fan base is pretty critical yeah well, I, mean, and, and I gotta imagine their fan base would be pretty critical if they were two and twelve well the sidewalk fans would be the, the fans that go to school there don't even they don't really know what basketball is so it's they're not real fans but yeah, the texture does clarify. He meant unorganized. Texas does bring Bright home guy win the 2023 Card Chronicle Person of the Year. If we get Jay Wright, he'll have a good shot. Uh, we, we have to get out of here in just a second, but we do have a game tonight. Let's do some predictions. Cards taken on Syracuse, 7 o'clock. ESPN News now has the TV coverage if you can't make it out to the KFC Yum Center. And a reminder, you can always hear all the action on our sister station, 970 WGTK. Patrick, what's your confidence level? That Louisville will not fall to 0 and 4 in conference play tonight after taking on the Orange. Two. It's not high. That's that's not high. Do you have a specific score prediction? Uh, Orangeman by 14. I don't like our chances tonight, and I don't think Syracuse is good. Like I think there's a there's a chance we've covered in two games. Ooh. I think they have a chance to cover tonight, but I'm not going to predict it. Just because I don't like, I, I don't, I don't have confidence in our ability to properly handle that two-three zone. 
We've not been great at game plan so far this year. I don't know why it changes tonight. But no, Jay Wright said we had a good game plan for Kentucky. He did. So. He did. I, I pointed that out as a positive. But executing the game plan, even if we have had good ones, has not happened. We make it. This, this Syracuse zone is not great. We should get some outside looks. If we shoot like we did against Western, decent chance to win. I don't think that happens. I'm going to say Syracuse. I think they score a lot of points. Syracuse 82, Louisville 69. Not nice. Hopefully we're wrong. Hopefully we're in here celebrating. We'll have uh, Matt McGavick in here tomorrow from Louisville Report. We'll be breaking down whatever happens tonight between the cards and the orange. Reminder, again, 970 WGTK. They got the coverage for the tonight's game. They're going with the pregame over there with Paul Rogers and company, so keep it locked right there until tip-off. We'll see you guys tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Until we talk to you again, go cards, beat Syracuse.